yeah it's it's good to get a little um your fingers a little bloody before you start the show <laughs> I mean, yeah it, always it's that would be a good pop, pulp title uh, oh. The Wheel of Blood. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah, there you go. So many, so many, so many damn books. Welcome to So Many Damn Books. I'm Christopher. I'm Drew. And we have Jonathan Ames in the damn library with us today. Uh, Jonathan Ames, if you um, are unfamiliar, is uh, a novelist and comic memoirist and television creator. Uh, wrote novels like uh, Wake Up, Sir, and the novel we're discussing today, You Were Never Really Here, um, created Blunt Talk and Bored to Death, one of my favorite television shows ever, and uh, also just a um, fascinating person. Welcome to the Damn Library, Jonathan. Oh, thank you. I didn't know it was called the Damn Library. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we we like we leaned really hard into the puns and stuff at the beginning when we were creating the show. <laughs> uh, also, it's just fun to lightly swear all the time. Right. Yeah, lightly. Yeah, it, <laughs> it sounds like something a parent might say to a child. All right, into the damn library. Like that's where <laughs> that's where like I don't know the bad parenting happens. <laughs> the, the corporal punishment that'll shape a person the rest of their life. Mm. Yeah. Corporal punishment. As opposed to sergeant or captain punishment. (laughs) (laughs) I would like to tell you about this cocktail that I made inspired by uh, your novel or novella or um, what do you call it? You you know, I did expand it. It's now 97 pages. I think it probably (laughs) still is a novella, Uh you know, I just... Uh, some people are calling it a short story and I'm like, it's not a short story (laughs) because if they call it a short story then people won't know that it's a book they could get. So mm-hmm. it, right. it's a book. It's a, it's it a, you know a, what I mean? It, it is a book. Yeah, it is a single... T- yeah. yeah, it's yeah, a yeah. book. And, it's, and, and I like the French uh, term I looked up the other day, Romain Policier. It's like a little dime Ooh. store crime novel mm-hmm. that you might have gotten in the 50s on one of those carousels of books. Yeah. Back, right. when, back when books were put on carousels. Right, and <laughs> James Patterson is sort of trying to bring it back to a little bit with the one, the one-shots in the grocery store aisle now oh yeah Yeah, they're like little short one shot you know 80 Uh, page things oh really i didn't know about that yeah because i'm into this length though i'm i am writing already a sequel to the book and and i i've become aware that the way i pronounce sequel which i cannot sounds like some kind of new antidepressant take sequel (laughs) and then they'll list like 18 horrible things that'll happen to you if you take it if anyway so um but the new book will be about twice that length. Oh. But that's still pretty short. Mm-hmm. I I want I'm I want to become a pulp writer myself. Someone who oh, okay. produces books more frequently. Yeah. I'm sort of trying to do that, like, you know, the way that guy went to McDonald's every day for a month. But this would be more of a spiritual <laughs> journey, like okay. something. You know what I mean? Like set Not yourself as some kind of task. I mm-hmm. might be as unhealthy, just sort of in a different way. <laughs> well, no, I'm, much better. It's much better because there there he was taking in poison. <laughs> Here I would be producing little books, hopefully entertainments for other human beings. So mm-hmm. that yeah. was not a good analogy. It'd be more <laughs> like some monk wanting to have to, as his meditation, climb the same mountain every day. Oh. It's sort of setting oh. a task for oneself. Mm-hmm. So this is, I'm just sort of making this up at the moment. Uh, I, anyway. I like it. <laughs> I, like, right? I like task-based writing. That makes sense to me.
I, I like to think, try to try to finish a book and then think about what the what the drink is that goes mm. with it. Mm. And um, I've been playing around with chinar, which is a um, artichoke derived liqueur, um, herbal and digestive sort of. It is Italian, I believe. And um, so this drink, the hammer, which is a reference to uh, the favored weapon of Joe, the main <laughs> character yeah. of You Were Never Really Here. Um, it's uh, chinar bourbon and uh, blood orange juice mm. so this is a violent book this is a violent drink you drink it through a uh, wheel of blood orange so it's like you're drinking it through a wound yeah <laughs> very delicious <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. some beautiful language there what did you say a wheel of blood orange i'm mm. like damn that sounds cool <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah that's the that's the drink i really like it um yeah and uh you know it's, and it's, a, not it's an easy one to make at home. You drink something through through anything other than a straw. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's a fun challenge. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, that, some things like that happen, though. <laughs> Snurfles while drinking through the blood orange. <laughs> and while, while we're on the topic, though, anyone listening, do not use plastic straws. Look, there's a lot wrong with the world, but I just putting that out there about straws because you know this it's a simple one it's yeah. an easy one because, it's a really easy one to cut out but it's an amazing drink i can't have it myself because i'm on antibiotics i enjoyed the uh the blood orange the wheel of blood orange <laughs> I, had, I had a wheel of blood orange <laughs> well uh before we jump to the bloody book that you wrote um mm-hmm. let's talk about a, a book that you bought recently Do you want to talk about a book you bought recently? Sure. Um, it is April, uh, or when we're recording this, it's about to be April. But April is National Poetry Month, mm. uh, and so I went to pick up. I went to pick up Tracy K. Smith's new collection, um, uh, "Where the Water Ends," which is uh, she's the current U.S. poet laureate. Her last collection, "Life on Mars," was amazing, uh, and so I'm just very excited about that. But then we got sent a copy of a debut poetry collection. Uh, Cape Verdean Blues mm. by a poet named Shauna Barbosa. Mm. And I've already started that and it is that collection I am like I am a hundred percent in. I'm very excited to read the rest of it. Awesome. Mm. But yeah, nice. it's nice to get a little poetry every once in a while. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Definitely, definitely, definitely. Uh Jonathan? Yeah. Well, you know, I I've been going to the bookstore, but I, I was buying books from my nephew. Not for myself, so I don't know if that totally counts. It counts. I got it him. Counts, yeah. I got him two books uh, about baseball. He loves baseball, so one of them I think had to do with the analytics of baseball and all that. What's going Saber on? Sabermetrics. There's something right? like that, <laughs> and and then the other one was Moneyball, which mm. of course you know uh, was revolutionary and somehow the baseball and putting forth the theories on baseball. But I'm t- yeah, I haven't. I, I'm always in the bookstore, but I'm blanking. I, I constantly buy, and you said that later in the show we're going to be recommending things, but and I was going to save that for them, but I could come back to it, is I'm constantly buying the books of Pema Chodron. She's this uh, Tibetan, oh, well, she's an American uh, Buddhist nun, but uh, like Tibetan Buddhism, and she has the most incredible books, and I, I've been studying them for about three years now, and so 
And so I'm always buying more copies of her books to also give to people because mm. I've found them so helpful. Mm. Uh, Buddhism is a very a sort of psychological uh, uh, way of life. Um, it doesn't necessarily feel like a religion per se. Right. Because it's, uh, it's about dealing with your feelings and, and being kind to others and mm. yourself. So anyway, so I'm always buying Pema Chodron books. I think one I bought recently was called The Wisdom of No Escape. Ooh. It's very much about not running away from the things that are painful in life. Not mm -hmm. that book, but a lot of her, what she writes about. Mm. So I love her stuff. And then since you guys said you received a book, a book I received a few weeks ago, um, a, a new novelist, um, his name is uh, Nick Yetto. And uh, he wrote this book called Sommelier of Deformity. Ooh, and it's ooh. an incredible comedic debut. It, it had that feeling of, uh, for me, now this is grandiose, of being Walker Percy and being handed the manuscript of a confederacy of dunces. <laughs> um, and, but it, it really felt like one of those just fully formed, unusual voices just... But very funny, very assured, an eccentric, living in upstate New York. I, you know, so I provided a blurb for the book, and I've since met the writer. So I just really enjoyed it, because I'd been reading only pulp fiction for years and only genre stuff. And I was like, oh my God, a comedic novel. I forgot how much I used to love these. Cool. You know, because yeah. I used to read so many comedic novels, which made me want to write comedic novels. Right. And then I switched at some point to just dark stuff. <laughs> and then I wanted to write dark things, you know, which is what I did with You Were Never Really Here. Right. Uh, and I was only able to do that when, uh, you know, I stopped writing for TV for a little while. Mm. Christopher, you, you pick up anything? Yeah, I did. Um, I bought this book that, um, do you know the uh, Frequency Illusion? When you, um, when you haven't heard of something and then you hear of it and then it's everywhere? Yeah. Um, I uh, mm. I somehow completely missed uh, Eleanor Oliphant is completely fine, and now I see that book everywhere. It's on every a bunch of bestseller lists and everything, and it's just supposed to be sort of a deadpan weirdness uh, comic heroine um, mm. uh, that of just like a woman who has a very structured life, and then she falls in love, and of course that breaks the structure all the time always does and it's um and yeah it's one of these things that when i bring it up they're like oh everybody's like oh yeah I you know like everyone's already read it i'm just really late to the party um, what was that you called what frequency uh frequency illusion frequency illusion now like because we all know this phenomenon mm -hmm. right and you often we all note it to each other and we always say you know that thing where you haven't heard <laughs> of you know, Pema Chodron, right? right? And then suddenly the next three cocktail parties, someone's like talking about her or attended mm -hmm. to talk, right? But now it has a name, Frequency Illusion, yeah. where like, yeah, you just suddenly become aware of it, something, yeah. and then it's everywhere. Mm -hmm. Interesting. I watched, I think, somewhere on TV, uh, and I don't know if it's called Justice Society of America or Justice League of America. And I know people, and uh, you know, look, we know, I'm jumping topics somewhat, that the superhero movies have destroyed cinema in a sense. But I liked the character that was part, like, 
cyborg because uh-huh. like the way he could like enter into any computer system like i thought that was so cool like he could put his <laughs> hands into computer and i feel like that's where we're mm. going like you know you'll oh, you'll yeah. have your like like somehow your finger will be able to go into a socket inspector gadget style it's and, like a little <laughs> yeah so i like that character i was like i like his abilities he's like able to plug into the web mm-hmm. anywhere <laughs> you know i don't know i thought he was cool it's funny, um, I'm going to transition to your book, because okay. I, I think it goes right into it. Um, um, Joe, the main character, he is really trying to um, stay, off, stay off the grid and, yeah, and really yeah. like be not uh, connected at all. Yeah. Um, so I, and I think that that was an, uh, one of the main like, drives of the novel, as like, mm. well, well with the plot, this other side thing, that he has to also keep himself from ever mm. um, appearing on the grid. Um, yeah, you were never really here. Do you want to tell the audience what the book is about in your words huh um yeah well i like that you're picking up on his desire to be invisible and as you were saying that i thought i thought i wonder if in some ways for me creating a character who wants to be off the grid not recorded on cameras never carries a cell phone you know um is my own you know reaction to that you know we're slaves to our phones i I was just in a bookstore just now actually before coming over here and and there was a title of a little book by the cash register how to break up with your phone (laughs) you know because we are so addicted to them i wake up in the middle of the night i reach for it Mm -hmm. yeah you know and it's troubling and we're losing so much of our conscious time on the planet staring down at this thing at mostly useless information when we've got the whole world around us Anyway, so so I, maybe there was an impulse out of wanting to be off the grid myself. So it's I with this book, I wanted to write a thriller. I wanted to write a page turner. Mm-hmm. I kind of wanted to create a character that maybe I could return to. Mm-hmm. You, you know, um, I was very inspired by the novels of Richard Stark, pseudonym for Donald Westlake. Oh, sure. And he wrote 24 crime novels about a character named Parker. And they, they were turned into some movies, uh, Point Blank uh, with Lee Marvin in the late 60s, um, uh, Payback with Mel Gibson, and then recently a Jason Statham attempt at it. But Parker's never really been properly captured in cinema. People say the closest would be Payback mm-hmm. with uh, Lee Marvin. I, anyway, I love these books. I It's all I read for almost a decade. I would wow. read other things. But I would keep rereading them like someone who only eat tuna fish or something, <laughs> you know, in a slightly mad way. And so I wanted to create a character like Parker, but more someone that you could root for. Parker's a criminal, yet you sort of root for him anyway, because in some ways he's very moral within his odd universe. So I wanted to create a more sympathetic sort of dark hero. So I must have come up with this idea that he, he's an ex-Marine, ex-FBI, who's agent who specializes in the exfiltration of children from the the world of sex trafficking mm-hmm. and so in this book he, he it's a he's a few years removed from the marines and fbi and he works off the grid off the books for a middleman finding children for parents that maybe or have not had success with traditional law enforcement this is so I don't know if that's a short so it's a it's a, a tale about this man and this one case of trying to find this young girl mm-hmm. and what happens and uh and you know we get to a certain point in the story and it ends and now I'm writing the sequel. Mm. 
that's very exciting news. Mm. Um, yeah, I was I was completely born along as a page turner. To, mm. I I read it in one sitting, which I think is what you're supposed to do. Yeah, almost. Yeah. I'm I'm curious though because I came to your work, uh, man. I guess coming up on like 15 years ago almost mm. with mm. Wake Up Sir, mm-hmm. and which is just it's the best P.G. Wodehouse book since P.G. Wodehouse died. <laughs> And I and then to see you pivot so successfully and so well, I'm just wondering how you, like, what happens in your mind when you are like, now I want to write a pulp novel, or back then, now I want to do my Woodhouse novel. Yeah, well, I think it all comes down to reading, right? Mm-hmm. And and I, you know, writers are people who love to read, and uh, and when I was a teacher of writing. I would tell my students, because maybe this is what I did, I said, write the kind of books you love to read. Yeah. You know, that was more my dictum than Hemingway's write what you know, which is also a good thing. But I'm like, write what you love, because that's sort of what you've been studying almost musically, you Mm -hmm. know? Right. And so I had read so much Woodhouse at a certain time and so loved it and got so much pleasure from it and so much joy that I wanted to make something like that. You know, I wanted to make something like that to give people what I'd been given. And then, and, and you just become so enamored of the form and you just sort of soak it in. And I guess in my case, you know, there's a certain mimicry. Um, you know, this is where artists have always responded to other artists. I, I've talked about this before, but years ago I saw this Ken Burns documentary on jazz, mm-hmm. you know, and all the jazz musicians were responding to each other. So like Miles Davis was sort of interpreting Charlie Parker through his own spirit. And as I would tell my writing students through his own embouchure of his mm-hmm. mouth, but it was like also the embouchure of his spirit. And so like I took Woodhouse after digesting it so much and then put out my own Woodhouse through my own consciousness, my own shape of my soul or spirit. You know, the embouchure is the shape of your mouth. That's why, you know, horn players, that's a big deal. Yeah. Like just their mouths can affect their sound. Right, and they have to work mm. on it too, right? They have to, yeah, and they, to and, keep it. Right, mm-hmm. and yeah, and then even the years of doing it make shape their mouths in certain ways. But uh, so with Woodhouse, digest a lot of Woodhouse, wanted to write a Woodhouse-esque thing. And also to thank him in a way. And then same thing with reading all the Parker novels. Yeah, I wanted to write something like Richard Stark, who is a pseudonym for Donald Westlake. I like worship Stark. And at one time I worshiped Woodhouse. And... And so I um and so that's that's why I, I do that. Now, like I said, reading this comedic novel recently, Sommelier of Deformity, I kind of want to write something comedic again because it gave me so much happiness to like laugh. <laughs> but but previously it had been giving me a lot of pleasure though was that feeling of turning the page. Like, God, I want to go to bed or I want to put the book down, but I'll read two more pages. Mm-hmm. There's something like very I don't know, exciting about that. Yeah. There is there's a little bit of humor in you were never really here. Mm-hmm. Just like, it's a very dark, specific kind of humor. Mm-hmm. Like I imagine a lot of people will not laugh. There's a moment when you're talking mm-hmm. about uh, his weapon of choice is a hammer mm-hmm. because it's easily, it's it's you can use it with one hand, it's easily mm-hmm. concealed. Mm-hmm. And there's a line where you're like, he also liked a fire axe for this reason, but a fire axe was not so easily concealed. <laughs> and I thought that was hilarious. Mm-hmm. And I read it to my girlfriend and she's like, that's not that's not funny. It's terrifying. <laughs> but I'm I'm wondering about your use of humor cuz like bored to death is a hilarious show. Right. Blunt talk is a hilarious show. Mm. And a lot of your your earlier work 
humor just suffuses it. Sure. I mean, your memoirs are very common. Like you always were trying to look at like find the humor in what has happened to you. <laughs> yeah. No, my after my first novel, which is came out 29 years ago now. Wow. Which is kind of a long time. 1989. Um, and it was a dark book. It was called I Pass Like Night. And in many ways, I feel like it might be if, if to look at my own books, mm-hmm. sort of like literally a bookend and hopefully you were never really here won't be my last book but like i pass like night which is a a line from the rhyme of the ancient mariner Mm -hmm. but that's a sort of title that's talking about disappearing i pass like night because the night ends right you know and 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 then to pass in darkness to go away and then you were never really here so i thought they're interesting companions because that was like a dark coming-of-age, first-person narrative novel um, written in a kind of mosaic form, like just fragments, you know, but you sort of felt the linearity. But there was some comedy in it, mm-hmm. you know, some, you know, gallows humor. Mm-hmm. And then my mom said to me, you're so funny, why don't you write a funny book next time? <laughs> and I don't know, maybe I was trying to please my mom or like maybe I took her advice, it was good advice. So then my next novel, The Extra Man... I really wanted to write something comedic while also merging a fascination I had with like novels of English young gentlemen, mm-hmm. which was my fascination at the time, like Somerset Mom short stories or, or you know, um, I think Somerset Mom was like the big influence, but also Thomas Mann, The Magic Mountain. I structured my whole novel, The Extra Man, kind of like the structure of The Magic Mountain, like these little chapters with titles and stuff. Mm. And I'd read Don Quixote. So I wanted to write. <laughs> and so that was so funny. Um, yes. I, I, I've lost my train of thought. So what was the question? Because I, that's, I, back then I wanted to write. Com- oh, so then, yeah, I just became a comedic writer after right. my mom's advice. Then I started performing. And all my stories on stage were funny. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I had gone to AA, you know, in the early, no, late. 80? Yeah, late 80s. And every time I spoke, everyone laughed hysterically. I'm like, I'm talking about my life here. <laughs> and I realized that like something about me talking about myself was funny. So eventually that led to me getting on stage and doing monologues kind of like Spalding Gray. Mm-hmm. And then that sort of ultimately led to me getting a column in the New York press writing about my adventures, which be- I then collected into all these essay books. Mm. So it was always with the goal... And when I had my column, I wanted to sort of be like Bukowski, mm-hmm. the way he made people laugh with his columns, you know? Right. So always the goal was to laugh. And then certainly with the TV shows, it was about making people laugh. So, yeah, I, I, so that's where it's kind of fun, though, to write this other stuff where I'm, I never thought about trying to be funny, but now here it's just, it's just like writing stark sentences and fast-paced and action. And I don't know, it's just a different fun kind of writing maybe just because um i like bored to death so much i was sort of thinking about like jonathan the character Mm -hmm. when i was thinking about this like Mm. he could like i guess i because i love unreliable narrators so much Mm. i always pretend like there might be an unreliable narrator here so i was Mm. like what if it's just jonathan like making up his (laughs) how 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 extreme his life has gotten at Mm -hmm. this point um you know later the bored to death later years 
Um, that's interesting you should say that. I mean, this narrator is an omniscient narrator and sometimes very close to Joe. And then in the new book, I go close to Joe and close to many other characters. Oh, cool. But, but this omniscient narrator, and I might be messing the rules a little bit, because sometimes a very close third person, but he also has opinions, like when mm -hmm. he talks about the fire axe. And I kind of knew that that was a funny line, but it was like a dark funny line. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. and there weren't many, but it's, but that's again showing that there's this omniscient narrator who has an opinion. It's not just being in Joe's head. Right. And, and this omniscient narrator has a sort of take on the world, mm -hmm. you know, a very bleak take. Um, but it's interesting you mentioned the Jonathan thing because I was thinking, uh, it's looking now that there won't ever probably be a bored to death movie, which is probably a good thing. But then I was thinking maybe I should write a bored to death novel, mm. like, and and then I guess Jonathan would write it oh, in man. a way, yeah, you know, and um, and his friends. I would write their dialogue. Right. Um, so I thought maybe that's a way to give people one more story about those guys. Definitely. Yeah. Just as long as we're talking bored to death. I mean, I brought it up. But do you have any um, Ted Danson stories? I'm a huge fan. Um, Ted is a great guy. I mean, such I dream about him often. I don't know if it's the white hair that <laughs> made him... <laughs> such an impression on my subconscious like yeah something you know like in a petri dish because he appears and always in a beneficent way <laughs> like oh ted there you are you know where are we going jonathan like you know or like but always kind to me and that's the way he is and um one time he said to me you always recoil as I'm about to hug you. <laughs> and, and that was, but it was, he, but he tried to observe me. Mm. You know what I mean? And he saw that I was troubled in a way that I should always recoil. And I, I think he's, and so it's made him want to be kind to me. And he was just so brilliant in the role. So mm -hmm. funny, so dexterous. I mean, he's such a fine actor. Uh, I, I, and I, people tr appreciate him very much, but I also don't, I don't know if they appreciate what craft goes into his timing and, and his preparedness and then also letting his spirit free. Again, mm -hmm. we're talking about Amajor to be there, to be playful. You know, he's just a fantastic actor. I've, I've been really lucky I've, that I've worked with really top actors mm -hmm. like yeah. in, both my TV shows, the movies of my books. I mean, should I rattle off some of the names? Sure. Is I mean, it right? is it is a murderer's row of fantastic talents. Right. Yeah. I mean, the cast the cast of Blunt Talk: Jason Schwartzman, Ted Danson, Zach Galifianakis, you know, Heather Burns, and then co-stars galore: mm. Sarah Silverman, F. Murray Abraham, Oscar winner. <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, Olympia Dukakis, Oscar winner. Mm. You know, we had B.B. Newworth, Kristen Wiig, uh, Kevin Bacon. <laughs> I mean, I John Hodgman, Oliver Platt. Yeah. I, I mean, it goes on and on. Uh, Zoe Kazan, mm -hmm. Jenny Slate. People that like when we had them on were just beginning their careers. Yeah. I think we gave Jenny Slate her first part, and they've just. Holy shit. Be become That's crazy. huge stars. And and then on Blunt Talk, Patrick Stewart, Jackie Weaver, uh, Adrian Scarborough, Dolly Wells. Uh, mm -hmm. We had um, uh, the funny guy, 
uh, I'm blanking on his name just because of social anxiety from Portlandia. Um, Fred Armisen? Fred Armisen mm-hmm. was on the show. Um, uh, Stacy Keach was on both my shows. And then, oh, my, yeah. and then the movie of my novel, you know, had Kevin Klein and Paul Dano. And now the movie of You Were Never Really Here, Joaquin Phoenix. I mean, yeah. I've been really lucky. Yeah, you have. Yeah. Awesome, awesome people bringing your words to life. It must be very cool. Yeah, so why do I have like a chip on my shoulder sometimes? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, we're all so greedy. Like, oh, I don't, I don't appreciate it. Bullshit. I mean, I've been thriving. <laughs> but well, I don't always feel that way. A lot of the time, none of us do. That's why we're human and we have to try to do better well yeah. there's nothing more human than the characters in um leonard gardner's book Fat oh, City, that shit. you that you uh you brought to us i was us. gonna say there could not be a more perfect yeah. transition to that book yeah i'm sorry human. if i've been long-winded at time no no it's no. been great oh, okay tell us about why what made you decide to bring fat city to us well um i've been doing a little bit of press for the book coming out Mm -hmm. and and i think like on the same day from different places because of the people doing publicity for the book people doing publicity for the movie and you know and not a lot i'm not like going crazy just a little bit of stuff and as the author you know i'm not really that involved you know necessarily in all the publicity and all that but anyway so uh on the same day i get about your guys podcast and you need to pick a favorite book or your favorite book or a book you love or something. And then I got invited to another podcast, which was called movie, movie crush. I think I'm not on top of podcasts. I have to admit, I don't know how to download them. I've never really listened to one. I apologize. I barely do, but I don't, I don't I'm just, I'm, t- I'm still on AOL. And <laughs> so I, I apologize, but that one was like, got to pick your favorite movie. I'm like, holy shit, what the hell? Like, these are hard questions and like and get back to us soon i'm like what (laughs) favorite movie favorite book and then like i don't know i'd been thinking about fat city again saw it on my shelf or something and i'm like that's a great book and a great film and i'll revisit the film and the book for these two podcasts like i did the podcast on monday perfect watch the film again and then reread the book this week that i just about got to the end and was speeding towards the end but it is a just i don't know it's just an a beautiful novel that mm-hmm. I don't think a lot of people know about. Yeah. And it's such a, a portrait. I It reminds me a lot of uh, Dubliners by James Joyce. Mm. You, you know, but it's set in Stockton, California. And you you get into these people's lives and, and their hearts and their dreams and their illusions and their fear of what's going to become of themselves. You mm-hmm. know, the central character, Billy Tully, you know, there's just beautiful passages of him. He knew he was lost now. He could feel his life slipping away. I mean, more beautifully written than that. But also just beautiful sentences about working in the fields of Stockton. Yeah. The character yeah. Billy Tully is this kind of down-and-out boxer. And, you know, there's in this in all the farms around early or late 60s, early 70s Stockton, who knows if there's farms now, mm-hmm. what's happened to California and the world. But that people would have to go out in the fields and cut onions. And the description of working in those fields was gorgeous writing and made it very compelling, was not at all boring to be reading about that. So, And then it goes into different characters' lives. So I thought of Dubliners, which was interesting, because then John Huston, 
made is one of his last films made yeah. this incredible film uh with stacy keach as the lead because and stacy keach <laughs> who i came to work with this uh, the actor susan tyrell who got mm. an oscar nomination and jeff bridges which it may have been jeff bridges first film future oscar winner oh wow and and uh and john houston's the director and Chris Christopherson wrote the theme songs of the movie. It had all this interesting talent associated with it. And and the movie is just beautiful. And John Huston later did The Dead, right? Mm-hmm. Which was a Joyce interpretation. So I thought, I bet John Huston's really into James Joyce because this, you know, fat city is kind of like an American Joyce. I was thinking Steinbeck. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, Grapes of Wrath, but especially mm-hmm. because Steinbeck I've, and East of Eden is all connected with mm. California too. Mm-hmm. I mean, Steinbeck is connected with California, and uh, especially with uh, all of the um, picking of mm. different vegetables and things. Yeah, um, it's it's a strange novel that's really um, you're following a guy at the end of his boxing career whose right. wife has left him, and you're following a, a really young kid who he meets and says like, "You should box," and the kid's like, "Okay." Although <laughs> like, their ages are not that disparate. At no. one point, there's a moment where Billy Tully, you find out he's 29. Yeah, and the the way that he is written, and I think the way that we think about the language that Gardner uses, we, th- we you look at you think like, "Oh, okay, he's like, he's Stallone in." the creed movie it's mm-hmm. like he's at the end of his career mm-hmm. and it's like holy shit no yeah. he's not he's still he's still basically a kid yeah it's crazy right but he's but he's a hard drinker mm-hmm. and one of the fun things about the book and the film is the character of oma the woman who he shacks up with mm-hmm. yeah. and because it's not you know so it's like boxing some farm descriptions but also their relationship and she's amazing her dialogue's amazing and then the performance in the film is she is so incredible. I love this woman's performance. It reminded me of um of uh the great actress uh who was in La Strada, Juliette Messina. You know, mm-hmm. th- this face that gives you so much pathos. And that's what the book is. The book is just filled with pathos, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. And you you feel for these people and 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 they're all just like on this razor's edge of destruction, you right. know, and Tully uh you know, Tully quit boxing basically because his wife left him. Like it seemed like later on, you sort of feel like that's what happened. It's like as soon as she left, the fight went out of him. Mm-hmm. It's like he needs someone to care that he's getting punched. Yeah, and and he probably wasn't that talented to begin with. And then and then the boxing trainer is a really interesting figure because mm. like he's risking these young men's lives because of his own delusions. Yeah. And interestingly, in the film, he's played by the guy who was then coach in the Cheers. Uh, no way yeah and he was really good in the role but he's scary because you're like oh my god because of his own delusions of about boxing and having meaning for his life he puts these young men at risk now the thing about Tully being 29 I think I don't know what the copyright on this book is 7071 you know we are aging differently right you know? and so and like for example when you read um, what was the great book um by Richard Yates, um, uh, was, Revolutionary Road. Re- Revolutionary Road, right? I thought the, of that book the, a lot. Those characters book. are like twenty nine, thirty, and their lives are seem over as they're in these marriages, and so really, like thirty back then is sort of forty five, forty eight now, or right. maybe even my age, fifty four, since I'm still like a child myself. <laughs> um, so people just age differently. Life was different. I, I'm and. 
in a good in good ways and then in other ways perhaps not but um i just love how uncluttered that world is though by all the things that sort of clutter our world now yeah computers and internet and you know it just it seemed both simpler but but it was a struggle though too now one thing that's really interesting about fat city is that leonard gardner i don't believe ever wrote another novel mm. and he went wow. on to write for television like i think nypd blue and may have been emmy nominated or something um, wow. but he right. never and but he is such a fine writer it's beyond just like sometimes a first novel might have a good story a good character right the sentences are beautiful well it's funny i i rarely ever read the introduction to a novel because mm. so often they like spoil the whole thing and yeah like, yeah i'm assuming right. you're coming to this having read it a hundred times like yeah. i have right and right. this was um reissued by the new york review of books who yeah does, like very cool mm-hmm. introduction stuff mm. well and it's got dennis johnson mm-hmm. rest in peace mm. and he his i actually ended up reading mm. the introduction and it's basically two pages three pages of him being like i read this book my friends read this book we all fucking loved this book and we all wanted to write like him because something about it on a sentence level just grabbed us. Mm-hmm. And it, it was really, it was lovely to go into the book with that sort of sense of like, wow, okay, so this guy functions on a level that is just going to grab me. And yeah. it did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, the, the writing, I, I, I kept tried to mark a few passages to like sort of read one to convey to your audience. Like just, there was even a description of, oh, where is it? Um, of the workers who didn't get picked up by the buses dispersing. Um, oh, God, I, I can't find it now. But here's just one sentence I marked. Um, Before he had reached his hotel, a ghastly depression came over him, a buzzing ways of confusion and despair, and he knew absolutely that he was lost. Mm. Yeah. Um, but but there's also just descriptions of the world and of people. I mean, and I don't know if that was the best passage reading about depression, but um, <laughs> I mean, it's a very depressing book. I, as soon as I, I I was about thirty pages in when I texted Drew, and I was like, "Well, Fat City is unconscionably depressing," mm. um, and you know, in the same way that Richard Yates is depressing as right. well. There's no hope here. Like, I never I never got caught up and thought like, "Oh, you know, Eddie's going to have an incredible career." What's I was that? just it's like, that... no, no, it's going to be bad, and yeah. it's going to be short. It's that, um, I think it's Emerson, the quote, uh, the massive men lead lives of quiet yeah, desperation. Thoreau, Thoreau. Thoreau. Yeah. yeah. But that idea of quiet desperation, which is so prevalent in, I think, a lot of books by men in the late 60s, early 70s especially, even, I mean, back into the 50s with Richard Yates, this mm-hmm. just like, you you see these these men who have nothing in common other than the fact that they are struggling to carve out a life for themselves right it's an exploration of like hopelessness that's Mm -hmm. constantly like i don't i don't i don't have any like plans or dreams for the future i can only see like the darkness (laughs) although at the ending which is kind of abrupt very abrupt but there's something it's not quite hopeful about the ending but it it leaves you on a note of of dawn instead of dusk there is a moment of like yeah, I mean, it's funny, um, being from California and and knowing that like Stockton, no one stops there. Mm-hmm. So I I thought I loved the little line where he's like hitchhiking and he's like, "I'm going to Stockton," and he's like, "Eh, I guess it takes all types to make a world." Oh, like, yeah. <laughs> just like, why would anyone live there? I know. Um, I really want to go there now. I want to go up there. And when you see the film, it kind—I of, mean, I don't know if it's all just modern, gross gas stations now and 
Kentucky Fried Chicken, but yeah. uh, it just had one of those places. I mean, because John Houston begins with a kind of a big, like, uh, overhead shot of the whole town. Because it's mm-hmm. also a place, kind of like uh, Winesburg, Ohio, or something. But it's real. It's Stockton, mm-hmm. and he, and you sort of, and it's just yeah. It's like this kind of depressed lost in time place kind of I, the last place i was there that was like that and i haven't been there for like 17 years or 15 years was memphis mm-hmm. you know where the restaurants are the same as they've been since and los angeles has a bit of that things hang on in los angeles in the way that they don't in new york absolutely um mm. anyway i couldn't find the passage i wanted i found another passage should i read another one mm-hmm. sure um so this one he's like i think he's this is the field where you get 90 cents an hour but it's incredibly hard work. And he's like, yes, he's just sort of weeding or something up and down a road. Yeah, he's weeding tomato plants. Yeah. Yeah. Bloated, aching, he again bent over a row, shuffling sideways, his legs crossing and uncrossing, the short hoe rising and falling. He labored on in despondency of one condemned, the instrument of his torture held in his own hand. Of all the hated work he had ever done, this was a torment beyond any almost beyond belief and so it began to seem this so it began to seem this was his future that this was work which he had always tried to evade and would never escape now that his wife was gone and his career was over and it was this and, and it was as if it were just as if he deserved no better for the mess he had made of his life yet he also felt he could not go on even another hour he felt his existence had come to a final halt with no way open to him anywhere. Hand on his back, straightening, he gazed with bleary eyes at all the stooped men inching down the rows, and he felt being white no longer made any difference. His life was being swept in among those countless lives lost hour by captive hour, scratching at the miserable earth. I mean, that is like... I don't know why I said it was hopeless. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, he's a great writer. Yeah. Yeah. And I think he's still alive. Mm. I wonder, you know, it's these, it's sort of a phenomenon writing. I mean, um, the guy who wrote um, uh, Roth, Henry Roth, and the famous 1930s novel, Call It Sleep. Mm -hmm. You, You guys know of this? Oh, well, it's a brilliant 1930s New York City novel, but it's written about turn of the century. A lot of people felt it was sort of political masterpiece, but it's really about like the the Jewish Lower East Side, the huge melting pot turn of the century. But he wrote it in the 30s, and it was a huge bestseller called Call It Sleep, Mm -hmm. Henry Roth. Big bestseller. And he was up there probably with like the top writers of the time, like John Dos Passos or something Mm -hmm. like that. And then he was silent for 60 years. And began to publish again in the 90s. Uh, wow. And, and this series of book called uh, Mercy of a Rude Stream, I believe, which I tried to read and I couldn't get into. But he had had the worst case of second novelitis ever. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was like 60 years between books. Yeah. And, uh, and then he came out with many. But Gardner, again, like this early lightning bolt of genius in a first novel, and then they don't write another book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of wild. Well, I mean, do we want to talk about other books we recommend? Sure. Along with, along with reading some Gardner and some and some Roth. Yeah. 
something joe i will um as i was reading you were never really here and enjoying that the pleasure of the page turner um i thought of uh, this novelist chris holm mm-hmm. who he had started and he wrote a, a trilogy a sort of like dark fantasy trilogy about a guy collecting souls but it was very noir but he's written two books and i think he's going to continue a series uh, the first one's called the killing kind and the second is called red right hand and they are about the pitch is that it is a hitman who only hits other hitmen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the first one has like some really impressive action sequences and it's just like mm-hmm. a great introduction to a character. Red Right Hand takes place over the course of, if my memory serves, it's maybe 24, maybe 36 hours mm-hmm. um, in the aftermath of a terrorist attack in San Francisco. And the terrorist attack is background noise because the mob is using it as a distraction to hit somebody and so mm. this guy's trying to stop it and it's just like mm. one of the best thrillers i have read in a long oh, time so exciting sounds cool yeah I, see i love hearing something like that because and i i'm not a very good tweeter but i tweeted something about that because someone had tweeted at me that they were, were telling their friends to read my book and i thought that's how books get spread mm-hmm. word of mouth that's always been the way you know what i mean i mean yeah. you kind of put ads in newspapers or something and but word of mouth is like really how the legends of books occur. Mm-hmm. You know, like Dennis Johnson and his friends talking about Fat City. <laughs> yeah. So that guy's name I recognize because I think he wrote an introduction to um, the University of Chicago Press reissued the uh, Stark novels mm-hmm. uh, oh, cool. about Parker. And I think he wrote one of the introductions to that. Cool. And uh, so anyway, that sounds like a great recommendation because I am I think as you guys are and the people who listen to your show you're always looking for that vein of a writer to tap into where you mm-hmm. get a couple of books you know yeah, what i yeah, mean yeah. like a rich vein now of course there's the one-off but i like to hit a writer where i can read more than one so at least there's two here yeah. right and um yeah it's so. you like i like uh of course i have to talk about highsmith i'm contractually obligated <laughs> to, to mention her every single time but mm. she's one of those like mm. i'm so glad i discovered one of hers because mm. Mm. Now I can just continue down the crazy mm. path of Highsmith. Mm. Yeah. Um, do you want to recommend? Yeah. Well, I'm just trying to think. Um, well, I mentioned Pema Chodron. I can't advocate for her books enough. Um, I mentioned one, The Wisdom of No Escape. Another one's called When Things Fall Apart. Another one is Start Where You Are. Anyway, they're beautiful books. I find them so helpful. I read a few pages in the morning and then I try to meditate and all that. So I really recommend those. A friend of mine was texting me about Carson McCullers and I haven't read her in years and I'd like to revisit her because I used to love her books and and I'd like to revisit The Heart is a Lonely Hunter. Um, And uh, and then on the mystery side... um, Robert Cray has some really wonderful books. Uh, he has one called, uh, I think, Suspect, about uh, a policeman and his dog. It's that is so jo- good. It's such a great book. Yeah. I love that book. And then that character appears in another Robert Cray novel uh, uh, that features his, uh, his detective, whose name is Elvis something. Mm-hmm. It's his detective <laughs> series. Um, so he's a fun writer. And then of course, Richard Stark, I've mentioned him and PG Woodhouse and Pema Chodron. So I guess that's enough recommendations. For <laughs> that's a, that, if, 
You'd walk out with a hefty stack if you went and bought all those things. So I love books. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't I don't watch TV really myself, even though I had had made TV, and and I go to movies sometimes. I used to go a lot more, but for me, solace comes from books. You know, yeah. that's what I like to do at night. Mm-hmm. All right, Christopher. Uh, I just finished uh, Lenny Zumas's, also Lenny Zumas, such a mm-hmm. cool name. Mm-hmm. Um, her novel, The Red Clocks, mm-hmm. which is a set. Uh, 20 years after abortion has been made illegal and you're following five women who are affected by this in some way. Um, and there's a little bit of magic in it. There's a witch. Um, nice. And there's a, it's for a book set in the future. There's very little like sci-fi. It's Mm -hmm. really just very personal, very much in the struggle of like, there's all sorts of things that have come along with the um, with the ban. Another one is that like single parents can't adopt anymore. Oh wow! Um, and so that's coming down soon. And there's someone who's like, I either need to get pregnant or adopt quickly. Um, and so it's a it's a really it's a desperate novel, and it's a great novel for the moment. And um, it's a it's a crazy book. I really highly recommend recommend it it's and it's some of the most beautiful writing and she really like lets herself go sometimes into mm. crazy like poetry and mm. um, cool and fables and like all it goes all over the place it's really really something special mm. i'm excited to read that i um i read the listeners her previous novel thanks to the fine folks at powell's in portland and i think uh red clocks is another one of their like indispensable mailing list picks mm-hmm. and it, you know, it's getting a lot of comparisons to Margaret Atwood, and I think mm. that's really apt. Mm-hmm. It's right, right up that alley. If you like mm. Margaret Atwood, you're going to like this. Mm. Well, listener people out there, um, please uh, go and review us on iTunes. Uh, go check our, our Patreon page. Uh, patreon.com slash smdb if you want to contribute to the show we really appreciate when those things happen and Um, uh go pick up you were never really here by jonathan ames and we'll see it in theaters the movie yeah Um, and there's also an audiobook that i recorded with a very noir like reading style oh Oh, i might even go listen to that (laughs) that's awesome um and thank you so much jonathan yeah thanks for coming oh thank you for having me thank you i like being at the damn library well we really appreciate it and uh you all uh, out there, go read some books. Woo! <laughs>